Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the Bar Network. Today's episode 16. Join us as we discuss, should I stay or should I go? If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and by joining us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook at Locust and Honey and on Instagram at Locust and Honey Podcast. that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. Well, hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And we've got a good one in store today. A good one. That's true. I'm excited about it. Yeah. So this episode is titled, Should I Stay or Should I Go? What does that mean? Well, we are asking the question because there are a lot of people who wonder whether or not they should stay at the church they're at, whether or not they should stay in the uh, convention that they're in, right? We are in the Southern Baptist Convention. And we are also in Georgia, so we're part of the Georgia Baptist Convention. And there's a lot of people talking either way. Some people want to stay, some people want to go. So we're kind of assessing that situation. Well, and I would also say that ultimately today's episode is going to be on the sufficiency of Scripture. So we're going to look at that, what it is, and how it ties into all of these questions. But before we do that, Andrew, what you into, bro? So if any anyone has been following along on my journey reading through Scripture, I'm in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is it's just got all sorts of New Testament prophecy in it, of, of course. Reading through the New Testament and then going back and reading through Isaiah, you can pick out the stuff. I feel like a lot easier and you can realize, oh, wow, that means this or that means that. And I mean, I'm in Isaiah 36 right now. I mean, every chapter, there's something almost, almost every chapter, there's something that is pointing to Christ or any aspect of his life or pointing to, not necessarily pointing to, but you see similarities in the types of language that's used in the book of Revelation in the book of Isaiah. And so it's been really cool uh, reading through that and really throughout the whole Old Testament that I've been, you know, reading so far, I've been able to pick out these things because there's obviously a lot of it that you realize, wow, you know, that's talking about Jesus or that's talking about, that's talking about the church. But Isaiah, it's just packed. So it's been really cool reading through that and seeing all of that in there. Yeah. That's cool. what I'm into. Man, you're always into the Bible. I mean, mine are always not. Uh, I'm into the Bible too. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into what we're talking about too. That's been something that has been has popped up a lot in the past week. Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I wanted to do this one today. This wasn't our regularly broadcasted episode. <laughs> Planned episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, something that I called Andrew and said, hey, let's talk about this today. So this is a conversation that we've had, and I'm into it too, so let's just get into it. <laughs> well, that was a good, that was a good one. Thanks, man. That was a good segue. I'm into this. That was the best one so far. So Man. there has been... 
we are two Reformed Southern Baptists desiring to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. What does that mean? Does that mean that we are diehard Southern Baptists till the day that we die? Um, no. No, it means... It could. It, well, it could. But it could not. But that depends on <laughs> other things. What it means <laughs> is that we are Reformed Baptists who are in the Southern Baptist Convention. Why are we? Well, the Southern Baptist Convention provides, it has a lot of benefits. It provides accountability. It provides community. It provides funding. Education. Education. I mean, there's just so much. Missions. Mission. I mean, the Lord uses the SBC or has used the SBC in so many ways. So the SBC formed with churches that wanted to get together and cooperate for the purpose of missions. Yeah. That was kind of one of the founding things. And so it's a bunch of churches that are centered on the truth of the gospel and then taking that to the nations. Mm -hmm. And while we are Baptists, we also believe in biblical missions, not these church vacation mission trips that a lot of churches have been going on lately. Um, By lately, I mean like the past 15, 20 years. It's become really cool to be a missionary. But biblical missions, biblical church planning, planning churches that plant churches that plant churches abroad and locally is what the heart of the Southern Baptist Convention was. Mm -hmm. And so we are Reformed Southern Baptists. What we mean by that is we would hold to 1689 but affirm the Baptist faith and message. Uh, Hold to 1689 because it's a more robust confession and the Baptist faith and message has been watered down so that it's not as robust. Yeah. And if anyone who's listening may not know, when we refer to 1689, we're referring to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Yeah. So. And the Baptist faith and message is the confession that the Southern Baptist Convention holds to. Mm-hmm. So with that, there's been some thoughts that we've had. There's been some conversations we've been a part of. There's been just a lot of things on a lot of different levels, whether it's individuals talking about at what point should I look for another church or people, churches that are partnering together saying at what point do we break ties. There's been a whole lot of different stuff that's gone on the past couple of years. And there's a lot of churches that aren't on the same page. But what we want to talk about today is how does sufficiency of Scripture tie into that, and then what are the answers to those questions? Yeah, I think that this is an issue that is talked about often in church circles, but I think that what sometimes we miss is that it's, it is a macro issue, so you've got a lot of churches that are considering leaving the SBC or staying in. They're trying to decide. It's also a micro-level issue where you've got a lot of people within these churches who are— who are trying to consider for themselves and their families whether or not to stay in the churches that they're in. It, it's just a lot kind of going on at the moment. But ultimately, we have discussed, and we've talked about it a lot over the past week, well, more than the past week, but the sufficiency of Scripture, meaning the Scripture being able to apply to every aspect of life and understanding that it does apply to every aspect of life, and therefore holding up everything that we do and everything that we think and all of our worldviews and, I mean, the crevices of our worldviews to Scripture and seeing if it stacks up to Scripture, Scripture being the bar for that, that issue is ultimately 
the heart of the disconnect that's going on right now, I think. That's kind of how it ties in. That's that's why I think it's so important. Well, it's important for a lot of other reasons, but in this particular issue, it's just a really big, big thing. Okay. So looking at church history, you got the reformers and they were crying for the sufficiency of scripture. But then you've got Rome, which was a direct confrontation to the sufficiency of scripture. Because what Rome said was, yes, scripture is powerful to save us, but we also need the Pope. The Pope is the intermediate between God and man. And then you need the priests to confess and all of that. So the reformers went head to head with Rome on the sufficiency of scripture. They're saying that scripture alone is sufficient, not only to guide us in our walk with Christ, but all of life, right? Mm. Scripture speaks to how pastors should preach. Scripture speaks to how churches should be structured. Scripture speaks to how churches should do evangelism, how they should do discipleship, how they should do missions, how they should do all of these things. Scripture speaks to all of it. The things that we've been talking about, I think, so in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there was this battle for inerrancy. And we won the inerrancy battle. And then you you see the conservative resurgence that takes place in the 90s. And then a lot of people were talking about how they had won the battle of inerrancy. And I think that that is an easier battle to fight than the battle that we're facing today. And I think the battle we're facing today is a battle for the sufficiency of Scripture. While it's easy to say that the Bible is without error, it's harder to say that the Bible is not only without error, but it speaks to all of life. And it is sufficient for salvation, for being a father, a husband, a wife, a daughter, a son, a teacher, uh, whatever it is, right? Scripture speaks to all of life. And that's kind of the argument that we're making is, in all of this, there's an answer, and the answer is the Word of God. So today, one of the big things that we're facing is pragmatism. And pragmatism would be an approach that assesses the truth of meaning of theories or beliefs in terms of the success of their practical application. Pragmatism and sufficiency of Scripture don't go hand in hand. Uh, What I mean by pragmatism would be you see a church that's had 300 baptisms in the last three months, and then you reach out and you say, man, what are you doing on the ground there? I want to reproduce that so that we can get the same results here. That's Mm -hmm. pragmatism. A lot of what we're facing on a convention level, whether that's local associations or state level or national level, at least within the Southern Baptist Convention, is this reliance on pragmatism to save our churches. We want to find what's working. We want to reproduce that. If a church is successful, if a church has a whole bunch of people, then they are able to speak on how to grow a church because they've done it. Our argument is that Scripture is sufficient to tell us all that we need to know about growing a church. And the way that Scripture tells us is a lot of the stuff that we've been covering up until now. It's worshiping God as he desires to be worshiped and then allowing him to love others through us like we love ourselves. And really the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. In that, the church 
we worship the Lord through these ordinary means of grace, which we've talked about. You've got the teaching of the word. You've got preaching. You've got singing. You've got baptism. You've got the Lord's Supper. These are things that we do together as the body of Christ. And all of that brings him glory and it edifies us. It makes us and conforms us into his image. Then you have missions. One of the big things within the Southern Baptist Convention uh, and the Georgia Baptist Convention for us here is there's this understanding that no matter our disagreements, we might disagree on social justice, we might disagree on shots and all of that stuff, we might disagree on what it looks like to submit to the government and why we might disagree on all this stuff, at least we can rally around the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And our problem with that is if we don't have a proper fundamental understanding of the gospel, the Great Commission doesn't matter. While rallying around the Great Commission, that's a good thing, we first need to rally around Scripture. We need to rally around the gospel. We need to rally around the sufficiency of Scripture, understanding Scripture rightly and allowing that to be the guide for how we grow churches or how we plant churches or how we send missionaries or how we preach from the pulpit. All of that stuff is directly applied by having a right understanding that Scripture is sufficient. Yeah. Those are some of the things that we've kind of been thinking through. What advice would you give somebody? Let's say you got somebody that they've been at their church They've been there for 10 years, and the past two years, their church has been shut down a lot of the time because of mandates. Maybe they don't like certain social justice stances, that kind of stuff. What should—maybe maybe they've been going to a church, and they don't like the style of music. When should somebody say, okay, this church isn't for me? Because we've talked about Burger King worship versus biblical worship. And so we don't want to just jump from church to church, right? Right. The church is a family. It's the body of Christ. It's a local gathering of believers. So I've been at my church for 10 years. How do I know if I continue to stay and be used of the Lord in my church or it's time for me to go somewhere else? I would say that the test there is whether or not your church is willing to submit to the Scripture. What do you mean by willing to submit to the Scripture? So, so like my issue isn't the preaching, Mm-hmm. at the church I'm at in this scenario. My issue is that the the pastor does a good job preaching, but then when we do the music, there's a fog machine and the lights are dark and it's this concert and it's just loud for me. Uh, I'm not used to that style. And so I don't really fit in in that part of the service. Would it be okay for me to leave that church and go somewhere else? Well... I would say that it would be okay to have a conversation with the pastor or whoever's in charge, the worship leader, the elders, and and discuss your concerns and, and present scripture of this is the way the Lord desires to be worshiped. I'm not one to just say simply that dim lights in a fog machine means that everybody at the church is a heretic. <laughs> Do they but, have the worship experience? What's that? Do they help the worship experience? I mean, uh, not biblically, no, they don't. I mean, they, they're they irrelevant. Oh. But... Are they irrelevant or I, are they extra biblical? Wow. Well, extra biblical and irrelevant would be the same thing, wouldn't it? 
I mean, you mean adding to scripture? Yeah. As to like what could Well, cuz your answer mm-hmm. to when to leave a church is go back to scripture. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. So my issue So is... they could they could be a distraction to people. Okay. Right. right. So like a fog machine, uh, whatever strode lights you know they could definitely be a distraction of people and that's what i'm saying at that point in time you could go and you could say hey you know to to the worship leader to the elders to the pastor or whatever and say hey this is a distraction for me kind of in the same way that and we just went through this in my in a, our sunday a wednesday night class the uh when jesus cleanses the temple right so part of that was that the merchants were set up in in the the court of the gentiles and they were distractions to the court of the Gentiles, the Gentiles who were trying to worship the Lord, right? Um, he drives them out with whips, you know, flips their tables. And, um, and there's much more to that. But, I mean, distractions are really something to be taken okay. seriously. So let's say I talk to my pastor, and I let him know my concern, and he says, you know what, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but we've looked at the research, and this style drives a bunch of young people to come to church Mm. and then they get to hear the gospel so i'm not going to listen well at that point i would i would go back and and i think that what i think that what people have got to start doing and this is we'll get into this but you've got to you've got to argue with scripture you can't argue with ideas you can't go back to him and say well your research is wrong (laughs) You know, you, you've okay. got to go back and you've got to say, this is what Scripture has to say about the way that the Lord desires to be worshipped. And research is irrelevant because if we, because in the Ten Commandments says, you shall know the gods before me. Well, if research is what we're, we're, we're putting into this equation, then we're worshiping something other than the God of the Bible. We, we are at that point worshiping ourselves, really, because we're trying to draw the people in to see us, you know? Okay. Um, well, but he said he's trying to draw the people in to hear the gospel. Well, I'd say— and so he's using the music the way that it is to get a bigger audience. Yeah. That's what all the other big churches are doing. Yeah. And it's working. They got thousands. Well, I would still say that <laughs> this is what so the scripture says. Are you saying gotta, that they're wrong? I'm saying that if what they're saying is that if they're what they're truly saying is that the fog machines, that the dim lights and all that stuff and the lights up top and all this is merely for the purpose of drawing people in and then it, it cannot be removed because it's part of it is equal with scripture as far as how we are to worship the Lord, at that point, I would say you're worshiping another another God because you're, you're taking other areas that you're drawing from, from culture, from research, from all this stuff, and you are equating it with Scripture that was decreed by the God of the Bible, right, Yahweh. And so I would say at that point, that needs to be torn down and we need to submit to what the scripture actually says, you know? Okay. So let me ask you this then. If I'm using that as my reasoning, like it's going to draw a bigger crowd. I'm going to have more people that go to my church. Can we use that to, to show that it's successful? Well, you can, um, 
It depends on your definition of success. I mean, if you're talking about <clears throat> success in drawing a bunch of people, then of course. But if you're talking about what the great commandment teaches us to do, which is not only to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also to teach them to obey all that I have commanded. Um, not necessarily, because you can have a church that's filled with a ton of people, and then you could go and baptize a ton of people. But So what you're saying is are... a ton of people gathered together for a specific reason doesn't make a healthy church. Right. It's like the Super Bowl wasn't a healthy church. Well, yeah, that's right. Okay. One thing that Vody Bauckham said, and I really like it, it stuck with me. He said, if we get everybody up here and then we say, we're going to judge who is the best father by the amount of kids that they have, that's not a good representation mm. of how they are as a father. All right? Just because you've got 12 kids doesn't make you a better dad than somebody who's got one or two kids. Yeah. Right? You judge the ability of the father based on the children if they're well behaved if they're you know what i mean mm -hmm. um so good kids show that they come from good parents you know right. um and so the church is the same way our goal is not to have the most people there our goal is to have people there that look like and sound like and think like christ as a pastor I'm not trying to have 5,000 people just to have 5,000 people. If the Lord as a pastor has given me 20 people and they look more like him than 500 people that are just gathering at a church for whatever reason it might be other than the gospel, then the healthier church is the 20 mm -hmm. because that's the church that looks more like Christ. Yeah. You know? And so... I think what we're saying here is if you're working through this, then the answer needs to be the sufficiency of Scripture. You need to go back to Scripture, and why are you wanting to leave or stay or what issues are you having? And if the issues that you're having are biblical issues where you can go to a passage and say, hey, pastor so-and-so, Here's my issue with what I've been seeing going on. This is what Scripture says. This is where we've gotten that wrong. Is that something we can look at? If the pastor's willing to look at that and move to make the church look more like Scripture, then that's a church worth staying at because mm -hmm. they're seeking after the Lord. Um, one thing that we have to understand, too, is that churches, individual gathered believers— are cruise ships, they're not speedboats, you know? Yeah. Um, and the purpose of a cruise ship, it moves a lot slower, but it gets a lot of people to where it's going. And as a church, that's what we're trying to do is get people to Christ, people to be with Christ for all of eternity, you know? And and so it's slow moving, it's slow turning, it's slow correcting, it's, it's slow, but it's slow for a reason. And that's because if you put that many people on a ski boat and you start whipping it around, you're going to knock everybody off. And then when you get there, there's only going to be a couple people that get there. Mm. And what we're, what the purpose of the church is, is not to be that ski boat, but to be that cruise ship. 
And if you're at a church and you have issues, find scripturally why it's an issue. And it might not be. It might be your heart that's the issue. And you need to work on that and allow scripture to speak to you and your heart. But if there is a, an actual biblical issue that's going on, then you need to bring it up to the leadership of that church and allow them to work on correcting that issue. If then the pastor says, you know what, um, you're, you're technically right. The Bible does say that, but we found this to be more helpful in growing our numbers or whatever the other issue may be. You know, at that point, I think it's time for you to go because then you're no longer dealing with somebody who's submitting to the sufficiency of Scripture, but they're looking to pragmatism to help grow their church. Yeah. And the Bible said, abide in me and I abide in you, for apart from me you can do nothing. If we abide in Christ, he will produce fruit in our churches, in our life, in our families, all of that. So to the individual, that would be my answer. Uh, what about state level? How does this apply for us within our state convention? Wow. This has been an ongoing issue too. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think, I mean, pragmatism still is, you know, that definitely applies. I think that applies across the board, um, state, um, national. So um, personally for us, I've been in the Georgia Baptist Convention in, in churches that I grew up in and then subsequently churches that I've been a part of, whether it's being on staff or just serving in, I've been in the Georgia Baptist Convention since I was in fifth grade. I have a lot of respect and love for it. Um, there's a lot of people that I know in the Georgia Baptist Convention, and so I'm not trying to slam them as people, mm -hmm. but we do have issues with the way that things are being handled. So specifically what I mean is a couple of years ago, they started saying, okay, we have an issue. We have a lot of churches that are losing members and are, we're not seeing a lot of, we're not seeing the same amount of people come to faith in Christ. We're not seeing as many baptisms. We're not seeing as much giving. We're not seeing all these things, but we are seeing a lot more people leave the church. And so there's an issue and we need to fix the issue. So there's been this issue and the solution that's been provided is evangelism. Yeah. We just need to go and teach better evangelism. Um, my response to that was there's a deeper rooted issue. If we're just pushing to get more people into church, we're putting a Band-Aid over cancer. We're not cutting it out and removing it. And my, so I, I wrote a blog a couple years ago to the, the guy that was over evangelism for the Georgia Baptist Convention. And we were, we were kind of talking about this. I addressed all of this stuff and then he responded in a video and I responded back again and then he responded back again. <laughs> so, um, forgot about that. Yeah. So, but in a, basically what was said was, we just need to get people inviting people to come to church. If we go give our, our people something on YouTube so they can learn real quick how to share the gospel and then get them to go out and start sharing and let's just get 
a bunch of people into church. My response was, what we need to do is basically teach the sufficiency of Scripture. We need to allow the truth of the gospel to transform hearts and lives, and then people can't help but tell of the things that they've seen and heard from their time spent with Christ. You're going to evangelize what you care about. And if all we're doing is teaching people a method, that's not going to help anything. What we need to be doing is allowing the word to transform their life and then them take that transformed life by the word and bring the power of the gospel to people's lives with that. It's not just evangelism, but it's also discipleship. Those are two sides of the same coin. You can't just evangelize and then those people that you evangelize are now evangelizing, and then there's this never-ending cycle of evangelism. You have to have discipleship be a part of that. You have to have being in God's Word being a part of that. But all of that is driven by the Word. It's all driven by understanding who God is and how we worship Him, and then allowing that truth to push us to love our neighbor as ourself. I love people and desire to see them come to faith in Christ, ultimately because Christ first loved me. He saved me, and now he's transforming my heart and mind to go and to share that with other people. And that's got to be the answer. So we can't grow our youth groups or our churches based on how some megachurch grew its people. Um, And then we just reproduce that and repackage that all over the place. Um, It's not McDonald's where there's the blueprint for it. And then if you do, if you build your church by this blueprint, you're guaranteed to make this much a year. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have this many people come. You're going to see this many salvations. Um, You know, you don't go, well, what's the, what's the latest and greatest on, church planning or what's the latest and greatest on building your youth group or what's the latest and greatest method to get people saved or to see salvation uh baptisms you know it's pastors being faithful to know the word to preach the word and to allow the word to take hearts of stone and make hearts of flesh Mm -hmm. and that takes time and it takes trust and it takes faith but ultimately it takes understanding that Scripture is sufficient for that. It's sufficient to save us. Scripture is sufficient to, once we're saved, keep us and disciple us and shape us and chip away all of the impurities and imperfections in our lives to make us look more like Christ on a daily basis. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is light unto our path. It is salt. It is the word of life, the river of living water, the bread of life. It is all of those things. And once we understand that and start acting like that, it's going to impact the uh, maybe not initially the amount of people, but the depth of the people that are in our churches. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, uh, we're not saying that it's bad to say train people on right. how to evangelize. Or, um, like one of the things that Matt does in the youth, in the youth group a lot is, um, pretend to be someone who has a different worldview and then the youth has to share the gospel with him, you know, 
Um, very healthy thing to do. But but when things like that become our main motivation, then at that point we are the branch that's laying on the ground next to the vine. That we are apart from the vine. Right. If all I did was teach them the right things to say to certain questions. Right. But I'm not pushing them to be transformed by the word. Right. Then what I'm doing is irrelevant. Right. They might know how to win an argument, but they can't speak the power of God, which is the gospel, unto salvation. Yeah. And, because it's not affected them. Right. And 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 really, too, you know, all of this that we're saying is irrelevant if you don't believe that scripture is sufficient. You know, yeah. all none of it is because it's all scripture, you know. Um, you can say, well, yeah, John 15, right? So um, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. Clear as day. But then if you go and say, well, you know, he, he was talking to them at a specific time and a specific moment. Today, we've got this culture. We live in the 21st century West, and that's just, it doesn't, doesn't apply anymore. Well, then it's irrelevant then at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and would you say that the Georgia Baptist mission board, I guess the people that work there, mm-hmm. that are doing evangelism and all of that, would you say that if you asked them, they would say they deny the sufficiency of Scripture? No. Okay. They would say they affirm that. Right. Yeah. So why are we saying that then? What's our issue? Because they're, the actions are different than the affirmation. <laughs> okay. Um, in what way? In that pragmatism reigns. It, yeah. it, 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 it is a, it, you are, you've got seminars, you've got, you've got trainings on not on the word, not on what scripture says about evangelism or on the great commission, which, you know, again, speaking of theology, eschatology has a part in this too, but, but like you've got trainings on how to convince people to come to church so that then they can get baptized and you can have a certain goal of baptisms that you meet on Easter. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's, I think it all stems. And so we did that episode on revivalism. Yeah. I think a lot of the pragmatism stems from revivalism. Yeah. So revivalism isn't revivals, but it's that spirit of constant revivals and, more so focusing on manipulating people's emotion. Right. And if we can manipulate people's emotion and get them to walk an aisle and say a prayer or get them to have a lot of religious fervor, then um, then we've succeeded. But yeah. that's not what the Christian walk is. Right. It's not this continual high on following Christ or this continual desire or this continual joy. Um, now there is continual joy in Christ, but you don't have this continual happiness and just really feeling sold out and dedicated to the Lord and reading your Bible. Like there's days that you go through dry spells or there's weeks that you feel like Christ isn't there with you. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, you just feel, you feel alone, but that's all, part of the Christian walk. And if we look at scripture from Genesis to Revelation, all believers have gone through those same things. Right. Being a Christian is not about a feeling. It's who we are in Christ. Right. It's, it's where we stand with him. And if we've been covered by the blood of Christ or not. 
Mm-hmm. And so you can have somebody like Job who feels like everybody's abandoned him, but he's not going to abandon God. He's going to continue to keep faith in God because he doesn't deserve the stuff that he's got anyway. You know? Right. And, and so when it comes to the con- the Georgia Baptist Convention, my biggest qualm with that is pragmatism needs to be done away with and we need to not only affirm in word but affirm in action the sufficiency of scripture we need to start having seeing pastors have bible studies with their church have prayer time with their church when the church is on their knees and they're seeking after the lord we need to start preaching the full counsel of God's word, not topically, but verse by verse so that God can speak through his word. We need to start doing missions not to go to a cool place or to say, look what we've done or anything like that, but because we're desiring to see churches planted there and we're partnering with them, even though it might cost us more than what we get out of it because we're seeing the further, the gospel furthered. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to see churches that are raising up biblical men and women to go and plant other churches, you know, men being the planters, women helping the husband (laughs) and being part of the church. (laughs) Um, But we need to see those kinds of things and those kinds of things are going to happen in healthy churches. Right. They're not going to happen in pragmatic churches that have the best philosophy or the best, they read this new book on how to grow your youth group, and now we're going to go and see this really big youth group come into fruition. Or I read Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and now I can go do it all. Like, we have to live it out. We right. can't just affirm it. We have to live it out. Right. And, and you know, I think that the when, when you go and you bring these things up— um, Actually, let me let me say something else first. Say it. Um, so, and coming off of that, one of the things that you'll have and one of the concerns from a lot of pastors out there that we even spoke with uh, in the last week is that they feel like there's no true um, community, no true um, relationship that they have with other pastors. Because, and, and I think the reason is because what are your meetings about when you meet? <laughs> They're about strategies of how to get people in. They're about, hey, how many baptisms do you have? So how many baptisms baptisms did you have? You know, they're about... How much money have you given? How much money have you given? All this stuff, they're about that. And they're not about, hey, you know, how? what is the pulse of your church? How can we help you um, be a healthier church? Not necessarily how can we help you... (laughs) draw in more people, but how can we help you disciple, you know? Yeah. And part of that comes with discipling the pastors themselves. That's, that's what the whole thing was created to be, you know? Right. Um, but ultimately we can go and we can seek out scripture and we can say, look, this is what the scripture says to, uh, says about evangelism, or this is what the scripture says about worship or, or, or anything. And we can bring it up to somebody but I think just kind of tying it in it, with those things, the deeper issue is, are they going to submit what, to what the scripture says? Because if they're not, yeah. there's no point in bringing up what right. the scripture so says. So it's the you same thing I mean? for the church. Right. If, if 
if a pastor or a, the church leadership is unwilling to submit to specific things that Scripture says, then we don't need to be at that church. Right. Right. Same thing if you're in a convention uh, or if you're in wh- wherever you're going, you know, um, for us in the Georgia Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist Convention, if those people that you're aligned with aren't willing to submit to what God's Word says, then you can stay and fight the fight of helping them see what God's Word says. Um, but at some point, you've got to cut ties. Because yeah. ultimately, we're, as pastors, those of us that are in the ministry, um, we are there for the specific people that the Lord's given us in our flock. And if you're spending the majority of your time fighting against other pastors, that's not the best use of your time. Right. You know? And, and so there, uh, I think it was Joel Webbin. He had a kind of a formula for this topic. And what he said is, if your funding outweighs your ability to fight, then you need to go. Mm-hmm. So that could be within the Southern Baptist Convention, the Georgia Baptist, wherever you're, or that could be, um, you know. I, so I think that's I think that's a good um, formula to to run through. Is the fighting that I'm doing being outweighed by the funds? What it's costing me to be here? Mm-hmm. So that can be monetary, but that can also be time. Um, am I investing more? in fighting these things on a conventional level than I am pastoring and shepherding my flock right. on a local level. And, um, and and so I think that's kind of the answer uh, to look at on should I stay or should I go. But as far as the issue, the issue is the supremacy or the sufficiency, the sufficiency of Scripture. And, and this is a... a a nationwide issue for us as evangelicals, as Protestants, as believers, as followers of Christ, we need to not only affirm in word the sufficiency of Scripture, but we need to start living it out. We need to start seeing it in the pulpits. We need to start seeing it in our evangelism. All of these things that I've mentioned, our discipleship, our missions, our giving, our marriages, our raising children, all of it, the things we vote for. Scripture speaks to all of life. Mm -hmm. And so that is what I got. Do you have anything else? No, that's what I got too. So that's where we're at, trying to figure out how to implement the sufficiency of Scripture. And I think that our podcast has done a pretty good job of pushing that if you listen through from our first one to now, that's been a pretty consistent theme with what we're calling people to, and that is worshiping God as he desires to be worshiped and then loving others as they, uh, as we love ourselves. Because we hold that God's word is fully sufficient for all of life, and we want to follow him as he's called us to. Yeah. Well. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Locust and Honey. We will see you next week. Hope that you have a good Lord's Day. And that's it. Yeah. 
I hope you do too. All of those things. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.